And I was like, I just want you to know because she's coming to my choir concert and you're also coming to my choir concert. And, you know, there's no pressure to meet her or anything. Mm -hmm. But if you see me like holding hands with a girl or something, I just didn't want to throw you off. friends and welcome back to the 50th episode of pickles and vodka this is the mental health podcast where we talk about all the things we don't want to talk about in real life and today is the third episode of pride week i've been interviewing lgbtq plus people about their mental health experiences and how it intersects with their gender and sexual identity it's been great so i'm excited for you to hear today's guest but there's a few things I want to talk about first. Uh, but first, like before I do that, I just want to say thank you to everyone who listens to this. When I started it, I just had no idea it would be something that so many people care about. Um, and, you know, I'm not like huge or anything, but I know people listen and it just warms my heart. And I wouldn't be at 50 episodes without you all. So thank you. Um, I have been doing all right the last week. Not perfect. I've had a few kind of dark-ish days, but I also have had some good days. It's like, I don't know, do any of you feel like it's either really good or really bad? There's never in between, because that's how I feel. I feel like I either have a really good day or a really bad day, and um, it's... (laughs) not a hot take or anything that I I think in black and white. And so I'm really, really trying to find the gray areas. Like today I woke up in such a bad mood and all I wanted to do is just like stay in bed or like go to the store and buy binge food. But I took a shower and I blasted some of my favorite music and I got my, (laughs) I did my nails. I got these like fake acrylics from Target and they look fierce as fuck. And yeah, I'm feeling all right right now. Um, my therapist said something this week that I really wanted to share with you all. I was, I was saying that sometimes I feel like I'm just slapping a bandaid on my problems instead of fixing them. Uh, I can't really remember the example, but like medication, for instance, I am medicated. Um, I'm on Prozac and gabapentin for anxiety and um, sometimes it just feels like it's not working and I feel like I am just putting a band-aid on my problems but my therapist responded to that by telling me that band-aids are useful sometimes we just need a band-aid like if you have an open cut or a wound or whatever it you need to put a band-aid on it or else it's gonna get get blood everywhere and it's going to get infected and you don't want that. So band-aids have a purpose. I mean, obviously you keep it on until it's ready to take off and then you take it off and you can see what's underneath and deal with it then. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I thought that was really cool what he said. So I have just been chilling, I guess, as far as my mental health goes. I'm not great, but I'm not terrible. I'm just kind of taking it one day at a time. Um, Right now I'm sitting on my couch with a bag of frozen cauliflower rice on my ankle because I 
uh, I overexercised and got shin splints. And then I just decided it would be a great idea to go hike 10 miles up a mountain with my friend while I had shin splints because in my mind, that's what ibuprofen is for. <laughs> you can just, you know, not feel the pain, but that was the stupidest mistake. I, my ankle's all swollen today and yeah, so just so you know, I'm sitting here with cauliflower rice on my ankle and um, I'm kind of going crazy not being able to walk as much. Like, walking is how I think, walking is how I calm myself down, so hopefully it heals soon. My mom was like, promise me you won't walk today. I was like, uh, but I have an appointment I have to get to later. It's really hard to just sit still sometimes and give yourself grace. I don't give myself grace to just like rest. In my mind, I haven't deserved to rest. What, like, what am I supposed to do to deserve it? You know, um, I don't know if any of you all feel that way, but I don't know, man. I'm, I'm kind of anxious right now. I, I had too much coffee and I've, I've been really like nervous about making this intro. I don't know why. This happens all the time. Like I, I re-record like 15 times and it's really frustrating. I don't know if I'll keep this in, but um, speaking of anxiety and stress, <laughs> when you listen to this episode, you might hear a few squelchy noises in the background every now and then. And that's because I was squeezing my stress ball near the microphone. And um, I guess I thought it wouldn't pick it up, but it did. And I'm an idiot. <laughs> just kidding. I'm not an idiot. I'm just kind of derpy sometimes. But um, yeah, try to just disregard that. Another thing I wanted to say before jumping into the episode is that we talk about eating disorders and we, we don't say any numbers or anything, but there is talk about weight and appearance and there is talk about food. So if you're triggered by that, you might want to fast forward that part or skip this episode entirely until you're in a better place to listen. Um, I can't think of anything else I need to talk about. Uh, thanks again for listening. I... This 50th episode is really special to me, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for pickles and vodka. All right, with that said, I'm going to transition us into my interview with B. Uh, she's in eating disorder recovery, and she just came out as queer, and she is going to talk to you about all that. All right, so here it is, and enjoy. So welcome to Pickles and Vodka. Thank you so much for being here. So excited. <laughs> I know. Why don't we start by you introducing yourself? Because I always forget to do this till like halfway in and I realize that they don't know who they're talking to. So right oh, off the bat, give me oh. you, or give the listeners your name, how old you are, where you live, uh, whatever else you feel like including. Ah, okay, cool. I am B. I'm 23. And oh, that rhymes. That was so cool. Um, <laughs> and I live in Houston, Texas. All right. And what is your relationship with mental health? Like, why why are you here today? Oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have a relationship with mental health? Uh, <laughs> if you could condense uh, it in a nutshell, what would you say your deal with mental health is? 
Okay, so I've been struggling, I guess, with my mental health since I think I was um, eight or nine, like a really, really, really young age. I've been dealing with it. And um, I went through, you know, all the all the good things that come with puberty, like uh, depression, anxiety, and <laughs> wanting to kill yourself. <laughs> just, just normal puberty things. Um, just casual puberty things. Um, so I did, yeah, I went through that um and I still you know have all those things happen every now and again um but I really took a big hit with my mental health when I was like 14 and I developed an eating disorder and so that was I mean I had seen therapists before right um Mm -hmm. but I never had to go through like the process of mental health what do you mean Um, by that like so I felt like all the therapists that I saw when I was younger were very much like, I don't know, here's some toys to play with um, while we talk about your feelings, you know, because mm-hmm. like when you're going to therapy as an eight year old, that's what you do. Um, you I wouldn't know. Like, oh, OK, well, <laughs> tell me when when I was eight, I went to therapy because I was being kind of bullied by this kid um, in my in my grade and. I sat with this therapist at um, like Texas Children's Hospital, actually. I went mm. there um, and I saw a therapist there and she would have me like sit and do um, like puzzles or um, play with fidget toys and then talk about my feelings. So I never really thought that it was like, I don't know, I never really considered it mental work, mm. you know, because I was just. I was a kid and I was can I can it. I be honest though that sounds kind of fun like that sounds <laughs> that sounds nice actually I kind of want to go oh to therapy God. and just play with toys and talk about my feelings can I mean I, I have a stress I... ball does that count <laughs> I um my roommate got a fidget toy from her job the other day and uh I got I have I've been away from my apartment for a while and I came home today after being gone for like two weeks and I just sat down and I played with the fidget toy for like 30 minutes. Nice. <laughs> and it was it was definitely its own form of therapy. Yeah. So when you went as an older person, how old were you the second time? Or like when you finally started changing the therapy like process, like when you stopped playing with toys, I guess. How old were you? <laughs> um, I think I was like 12 or 13. I had gone through my first like relationship e thing in high school. It was in ninth grade, so relationships then don't really count. Relationship e um, things, yes. <laughs> um, but we, I, I'd been dating this guy, and it just hadn't gone very well. And um, I ended up having some pretty bad self image about myself after the relationship ended, and so I just started restricting food. Mm. and reducing my food intake you know one little thing at a time and it wasn't intentional definitely but there had been a lot of comparisons in my relationship um either that I had just picked up on or you know I I just had I noticed things um, insecurity yes very much insecurity and so I was trying to be enough by looking thinner and obviously that did not 
play in my favor very well. Um, <laughs> but you're telling me. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought that that was going to be like my shoe in, and it kind of was for a while. That's the thing. Thin privilege is real, and people do yes. treat you better sometimes when you're thin. Like it's just no, but it's so honest, true. You know, I got so much like attention granted it was unwanted but I got all this attention from people my age but also like older men which is a whole different category of trauma oh boy oh my god (laughs) but you know that's just like a it was it was just so um, so speaking of like sexual attention and stuff like that you uh came out as queer recently right yeah really recently did you grow up with like kind of a heteronormative family or like what how was gender discussed in your family it wasn't okay (laughs) uh gender definitely wasn't discussed but my parents have always been incredibly open-minded and accepting and I mean we've known my dad has worked with gay people we know gay people like that sounds really weird to say, um, but you know, <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were always really accepting of other people. And when I actually came out as bisexual at 14 as well. So not only okay. was I like struggling with my eating disorder, but I was also like, oh, I'm something else. Like I'm definitely not straight. What was that process like for you discovering that and coming to terms with that? I want I I don't want to say it was hard, but it also wasn't easy Hmm. Um, because the where I grew up was overall like pretty accepting. And luckily, like living in Houston, Houston is a pretty progressive area and it's very liberal. And I never experienced like a whole lot of people shaming me for being out. Yeah, like that Southern fried Bible Belt shame. Yeah, I never had that in Houston, even though I'm in Texas. Well, that's um, good. That's good. Yeah, no, it was it was nice. So, yeah, I I came out when I was 14, and I was nervous and scared, especially um, because it's one thing like working with a gay person or like knowing a gay person and then it's different having a gay person as your child I definitely wasn't as open with my entire family like extended family because I was so nervous my grandparents on one side of my family are very um old-fashioned I should say and they would never like say anything rude to me or hateful or spiteful or anything like that but I they just don't understand yeah anything on our side (laughs) I suppose (laughs) what what Um, were you nervous about in particular I think there was always that fear of them not accepting me Hmm. and you know it felt irrational at the time or it feels irrational now to think about because they're my parents and they love me and they've always accepted me no matter what I've thrown at them but it felt really like, I don't know, it, it's scary for a 14 year old, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 14 <laughs> kind of sucks anyway, because you're going through all <laughs> physical changes and you're starting to become your own person. You're in high school. 
like all this crazy stuff is happening and then you get hit with an eating disorder while also discovering this part of your sexuality like I can't even imagine yeah definitely and it was you know on the topic of sexuality it was also really difficult because I came out as bi first I came out as bi before I came out as queer and I came out as bi because I had a really strong girl crush in eighth grade when I think I was 13 and you know, I, I kept that, you know, attraction for women after that. And I mean, it, it never left. Mm -hmm. So that was just the first incident. Yeah, that was just the first incident. But it also was difficult because for a really long time, I felt like I had a preference for men because I had only dated men. And so I liked women, obviously. I liked women a lot, but I never brought one home when did you start like feeling sexual attraction oh really young really really young same honestly I remember like being eight and like masturbating (laughs) like (laughs) yeah like I'm but yeah it also it was also kind of taboo in my house and um I felt like dirty and shameful because of it okay that's so nice that we have that in common So actually, to backtrack, when I was getting bullied in third grade, um, the person that was bullying me had also, we were in the same class, so we were still really young, and this person didn't know what they were doing, and I, you know, I'm sure they were going through it, because who would do this as a kid, but the person that was bullying me had also, like, (laughs) touched me. Um, and like touched my chest and like groped me and stuff as an eight-year-old on another eight-year-old. So that was kind of traumatic in itself. Yeah. But then like my whole view of like sex was kind of skewed after that. Well, did you Um, even have a view of sex before that? No, I mean, not really. That was like your first introduction. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so like, after that I had seen like not sexual like I had I didn't watch porn or anything when I was younger but like you know movies and stuff movies and stuff yeah Yeah. but I would see like that sort of thing exactly I was like oh that's what was happening to me and then you know it just I just like had a really rushed sexual experience I think how did Um, you feel about it I thought it was normal. <laughs> like, like, uh, did you, were you glad or were you scared or like, what was going I through your head? I, so I actually, I didn't lose my virginity until I was like 17. And I think I, I kind of went through, I say it's a hoe phase. I slept with a <laughs> lot of people. Uh, we all got to have a phase like that. I'm almost I'm, 29 I'm saying... and I'm, I'm in a hoe phase right now or like on the, on the cusp <laughs> of a hoe phase. I'm a pre-ho phase right now. Pre-ho I'm swiping phase. through the apps and <laughs> buying cute outfits, but I'm not fully hoe yet. Oh, you'll get there, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I was going through the same thing and I was 17 and 18 and 19. But I was like, you know, having 
sex with pretty much anybody that would want to have sex with me. I'm so sorry if my parents ever listened to this. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I had my limits. Like I, it was all people that I knew either from school or from like dating apps or whatnot. And how old were you when this was going on? Sorry, I want to keep the timeline consistent in my head. Oh, you're good. I was 17, 18. Okay, so this was after you'd come out and the eating disorder and everything. I mean, we'll get, we'll go back to the eating disorder, but this was further along in your life. For sure. Definitely. Um, I'm so sorry. I keep, my timeline is very like, Oh, uh, don't even worry about it. (laughs) It's fine. Um, I I'm a very big tangent person. I jump around all the time. So you have nothing to apologize for. So yeah, I went through the, I went through the whole phase and I, I guess for a while, I was glad that my sexual experiences had started early because I felt like I knew everything. Um, Mm. And like, yeah, I knew what I liked. I knew what I wanted from people. Like I was very good at what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) But also- I'm sitting here like, what's the problem? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what is the problem? Well, then- um, this year, uh, right before my 23rd birthday, I turned 23 in April, um, around January. I was in a really good space, like mentally, everything was going really well for me. And I started processing my entire life. And then I realized that being a whore (laughs) may not have been the best for my mental health. (laughs) wow I think I think that's the first time that word has been uttered on the podcast (laughs) yeah (laughs) well there's the first time for everything exactly when you say the word whore like what do you mean by that I I kind of was a self-proclaimed whore like I take that I don't like that word as the insult obviously but I like that word as like you know when people say they're that bitch yeah like it's a term of endearment that girl like it is it is I, I just wanted to, exactly to make I... sure because like some people still use it that way and I think it's good like it's good to say I'm a whore and I'm proud of it you know <laughs> yeah I, I don't necessarily know if I'm proud of it but I definitely you know I don't mean it in a derogatory way I just meant I slept around yeah you own it yeah for sure but anyway going back to you processing your whole life so I realized that, I don't know if other people realize this when they finish their hoe phase, but I, I personally did all that to feel something because I actually talked about this on my Instagram live with Fonda. I don't know if you watched that. Was that the one where I met you or was that a different yes. one? Okay. So do you want to, do you want to summarize that for the listeners? Okay. So to summarize me and my friend Eric, who is a drag queen and also a spokesperson for the Eating Recovery Center, he invited me on his show to talk about what it, he has a show called Queen and Sober. And we had a whole discussion about what it's like to be queer and have an eating disorder and everything that goes along with that, um, you know, shame and, and figuring out sexuality while you're going through like one of the hardest mental health experiences of your life and how that all connects it's a really fun show it's like 35 minutes and if you have the time you should watch it yeah what Um, day is it (laughs) 
Um, it actually already aired. It's um, it's on the Eating Recovery Center's Instagram page. No, I mean, what under... what um, day of the week does it normally air? Oh shit, I don't know. It's okay. We can <laughs> plug it later. I just I'm, I'm asking because I want to know personally. Like, um, so for those who don't know, Eating Recovery Center is um, a treatment center with locations all over the United States, and I actually went there for my own treatment, uh, January through March. And um, I was watching the Queen and Sober Instagram Live. Um, it, it's not a drag show. It, it's a drag queen, but talking about mental health, like yeah. talking about the show is not and, drag. Yeah, but it's fantastic. I loved it. That's how I met B. Um, I well, what are your pronouns, by the way? She her. Okay, I forgot to ask. I'm sorry. Um, no, you're good. Yeah, that's how I met B. I sent her a message and we arranged this. But yeah, um, anyway, I'll put a link in the show notes for people who want to watch that. It's great. To backtrack, I kind of realized like when I, I started processing with a therapist who specializes in EMDR, which is, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's eye movement desensitization desensitization and reprocessing good job (laughs) (laughs) i had like my breath i was holding my breath the whole time like because i get panic when i try to like remember words (laughs) yeah i do i do um but it's it's a therapy that i had tried before but i you really have to be in a good space and ready for it to do it because it's so intense and it's taken up six months of my life um, wow. Yeah. Why does it take that long? So in the first few sessions, you kind of give a timeline of every bad experience that you've ever had, um, or every sort of traumatic experience that you've ever had from childhood to like adolescence to adulthood. And I have a lot. And so we had to go through this list of like all of the most traumatic things I've ever been through and reprocess them. And to do that, um, I had, I don't really know how to explain it, but she has this, my therapist has this pointer and we, we meet in person and online. So, um, but she has this pointer and she kind of waves it back and forth from side to side at a certain speed and on the end of the pointer is like a stress ball. Um, and so to reprocess and get in this space to reprocess, she will wave this ball back and forth and like almost walk you through like a, oh, like a, like a meditation thing. And so I'll be in relaxed and in this meditative headspace she'll wave the ball back and forth while I'll think about the traumatic memory, but also pair the traumatic memory with good thoughts that I feel about myself now. So let's say that I am going through like um, reprocessing a time where I felt suicidal for some reason. And I'll hold that memory in my head with phrases like, I am loved, I am important and I am valued. And she'll wave the ball back and forth and I'll almost dissociate while Mm -hmm. she's doing that. And my brain will reprocess the memory with these good thoughts. And so now, yeah, it's so powerful. And so now when I look back on that memory now, I'm not triggered and I'm not like in fight or flight mode. I just get reminded of this 
I am valued. I am loved. You know, I'm, I'm cared for whatever I said. That's so, beautiful. It's awesome. It's so good. It's really expensive, but, but if your insurance, <laughs> my insurance covers it, um, nice. it covers a lot of it. It's, it's been one of the most powerful things that I've done in my life. I see why it would take a long time, to, though, to get through all of your traumatic memories, especially if it yes. takes more than one session, as it probably does, like, for each memory. Yes. Yeah. So it actually works pretty well for most things, but I there were one or two memories that I needed multiple sessions on, but overall, like, things can get done within the hour, which I think is fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, a lot can happen in an hour. True. <laughs> oh my god that sounds ominous (laughs) Um, and it wasn't meant to (laughs) or maybe it was (laughs) um I want to talk about your eating disorder for sure so you were 14 when you first started having symptoms correct Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what happened after that so after that it was just kind of a process of people telling me that I should probably get some help. Um, those people like being my my primary care physician, she was actually keeping tabs on me because I was losing weight pretty fast. And I was also in marching band in high school. And so I was doing a lot of like physical activity. I bet your eating disorder loved that. Oh yes, she did. <laughs> do you also do you also refer to your eating disorder as another person? Yeah, I do. Well, so my eating disorder's name is Hunter because I always feel like I was being hunted and their pronouns make or go back and forth between being a he and a she depending on my mood. Oh, interesting. I love that name though. Yeah. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before. I don't know if people are familiar with this practice is why I asked you. Oh, it's super cool. I've actually, I don't, know anybody that hasn't named their eating disorder mine is reagan reagan sounds like a bitch (laughs) it just sounds like a bitchy like instagram influencer you know also my dad kind of idolizes ronald reagan and i hate it and so it's also like anyway um (laughs) but yeah i forget where you were with your story i will let you tell it no you're good so i named my eating disorder hunter um but backtracking uh, my primary care physician was like checking on me every every now and then, and um, it honestly got to the point where, like my my peers were noticing and my like classmates were noticing and pointing it out, and that was kind of embarrassing actually. I had been getting attention from like people I had crushes on and like people were talking to me and like wanting to be my friend because all of a sudden I was skinny and pretty but skinny pretty and bi yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) and like people people wanted to be around me and I mean maybe they always did and I just didn't realize it but it felt very like almost targeted at that point in my life um but I think one of the key memories I have and I I talked about this on the live show with Eric was I was sitting in the bleachers during a pep rally um and I was uh with the rest of the band and this girl was sitting behind me and you know when the band sits together in a pep rally in a gym 
we're all really close together, pretty much pressed up against each other. There's no six feet apart there. Mm -hmm. Um, But we were all sitting together and this girl had her knees like up against my back and she tapped me on the shoulder. And she was like, did you know that when I press my knee here, I can feel all of your vertebrae? Damn. And I was like, I don't even know what to say to that. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. It's Um, uh, it's like anyone who has had an eating disorder knows that hearing something like that can be like a huge compliment. Like you can take that and like live off of it for months. Just like at least mm -hmm. for me, I loved when people told me stuff like that about my appearance. They meant to be like they were concerned when they said it, but I love that kind of thing. No, I totally get that. Yeah, but it's also like kind of a wake-up call in a way it is and yeah it it, it kind of was a wake-up call and I know it I know now like as a person that's kind of gone through all the treatment and stuff for that and I my eating disorder doesn't really affect me very heavily anymore um yes, that's amazing and, yeah which is super cool but as like looking back on that now I'm like you know that should have been a knock knock here's reality talking uh you're not okay but at the time I was like nah, whatever <laughs> so you didn't you didn't see yourself as having an eating disorder no I didn't and actually there were lots of people that would tell me that I had an eating disorder that I should get checked out and there were times when people would tell me that my face looked sunken in there was actually a time when one of my friends pulled me out of English class um right before like the bell rang go to the next period and he was like I can see every bone in your body your face looks like a skeleton um are you okay and sorry continue no I I just didn't know what to say what do you feel how do you feel when people make comments like that I I honestly don't know because I, I don't know. Like I understand that comments like that are usually out of concern, but it also, I don't like having my appearance commented on unless it's a compliment. (laughs) Yeah. Like, is there even a right way to approach someone like that if you're concerned they have an eating disorder I personally don't know that's something I've actually gotten asked before is what's Mm. the right way to talk to somebody when they have an eating disorder but the thing is everybody's different yeah so you know telling me I look like a skeleton might help somebody else Mm -hmm. like get that wake-up call and I think it was a wake-up call for me because I started going to treatment almost a week after that wow so you went you went from not knowing you had an eating disorder to treatment for an eating disorder exactly wow how what were you what what was going through your head well sorry you can tell the story no you're good you're totally good um to to finish off that that little bit I don't know the right way to talk to somebody about concerns about them having an eating disorder I think kind of the best way to go about that is to just keep checking in with people and making sure that they're okay and not just being like 
ah, you're too skinny. You're like, yes, you know, because I mean, a lot of people with eating disorders are not even skinny. Like, yeah. like they're, they don't look like skin and bones. Like you don't, you don't really know someone has an eating disorder unless they tell you I have an eating disorder. Uh, I would even say the minority is like the super skinny stereotype that exactly. you see in movies and stuff. Yeah. And that's problematic in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I figured it out when my, my mom and dad took me to a treatment center at Texas Children's and they, uh, it was, I was kind of forced into going actually. I didn't, I didn't think I had a problem. I thought I was fine. And I kept telling myself that I was fine and everybody was overreacting. And um, we went in and we met with this like really nice nursing staff and this like male resident came in and he was like, do you think you have a problem? And I'm like, I think you should let me go home. (laughs) But then this doctor came in and she, she came fucking strapped with the numbers. She had all the facts. She came in with her little clipboard and she grabbed her pen and started writing on that, um, you know that the the paper thing that they put down on like um like hospital beds not beds oh but like, yeah um, the little markers like the tables yeah yeah so she started writing on that and she was like here's your BMI here's where you're waiting you're <gasps> this percentile like like you're you're fucking sick <laughs> like oh you're my god sick and you have a problem I feel so many things when you say that like I feel like maybe it wasn't the healthiest to write all that down and put it on a marker for everyone to see, you know, like. It wasn't like, there wasn't a lot of, it was just me and my mom and my dad in the room. So it wasn't like a huge deal for me, at least. I was honestly dissociating through the whole thing. (laughs) Honestly, I feel like I am at the point where I cannot know my weight or BMI because if I do, like when I go to the doctor, I ask them not to give me my weight because it will trigger the shit out of me. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess in that moment, like you really needed to know, you needed to know how serious it was. Exactly. And that was the thing is like being 14 or 15 or however old I was at the time, you know, I definitely, I was not at the weight I needed to be at. I was You're not a in the child. percentile. Yes, that was growing. healthy. You're still developing. Right. But like when your eyes are sunken in because your face is so skinny, like it's obviously a problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. Eating disorders are bad enough for any age, obviously. But like with children that young, it just breaks my heart because they're like damaging their brains. Exactly. You no. Know? And that's, that's actually something that she pointed out um she you know said that I was damaging my brain and if I kept going like this I was gonna have to be hospitalized and they were gonna have to tube feed me and like just all this really scary shit that I wasn't really prepared for (laughs) what what were you like as a 14 year old I'm trying to picture this Um, what was your what was your personality like now I see you as confident and like well-spoken and oh definitely not that (laughs) (laughs) yeah were you scared like were you mad like what was going on I was angsty I uh I listened to screamo music and I was angsty (laughs) so I I don't know I was really not confident I was not secure at all in anything and I really honestly didn't become secure or confident or well-spoken until 
I think I was like 20 or 21. And that's, that's when I feel like I'd really gone through life experiences to make me this way. But I, I was really soft-spoken and closeted still mm-hmm. <laughs> and just not in a really good, good like mental place, obviously. It was harsh what she said and it was harsh what she did. And she knew she had to do it because it gave me a wake-up call. Yeah. And that's kind of when I realized, oh shit, like I'm going to die if I keep doing this. And I never really thought about myself when I, when I was a teenager, I didn't think I would make it to 18 because I had been really depressed for a really long time. And I'd been dealing with depression since I was eight and this eating disorder just felt like another thing to deal with. And I was for sure that I just wasn't going to make it that long. But then when it was death was kind of placed right in front of me as a 14 year old, I was like, okay, maybe I don't want this. Yeah. How does your depression manifest itself? I, that's a good question. Was it like, were you sad all the time? Like hard to get out of bed or I don't know. Does it anxiety? I I had pretty high functioning depression and I still do. And high functioning anxiety as well. Um, my depression manifested itself after 10 p.m. during really during the hours of 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Oh, the um, best the witching hours. Yeah, exactly. Sad boy hours. It's, they stay sad boy hours. <laughs> <laughs> but I kept my sadness to my time because I didn't want anybody else to know that I was sad. Mm. I mean, I was definitely kind of angsty as a kid because I was like dealing with all this shit that I felt like no one would know about no one understood me and no one really got what I was going through even though like literally all my friends were depressed so we all we all really got each other and we all still get each other it's a mood (laughs) it sounds a lot like you were suppressing your emotions anytime you were around people yeah definitely so between the ages of 14 and 21 what started changing beginning with the the treatment center so the treatment center was super helpful and honestly I really got what I needed out of it I think I was there for six months and I was outpatient so I just went in like four or five times a week and got all this stuff done and luckily like my mom is a teacher and my dad works in like a university system and so they are really really good about like accommodations and like learning about how like how I could do everything I needed to do at my treatment center and still like get what I needed out of school and you know be able to pass and go on to 11th grade or 10th grade or whatever grade I was in at the time I don't really know <laughs> um I was in 10th grade yeah um So I had everything I needed to go on and be successful in high school while also getting everything I needed out of treatment. So that was really helpful. And my school was like super accommodating to me, which was nice. Um, Because like my school had a really like strong policy about not bringing in like water or food to class. And part of my treatment plan was the fact, was the, that I had to eat three square meals a day but also three to four snacks in between those meals yeah I'm very familiar yeah so 
my my time spent at school was spent eating like the cutie tangerines oh yeah those are so good um and drinking like insures <laughs> oh yeah those those in those protein shakes they make you yeah. drink in treatment if you can't finish your food exactly so it was it was a lot of a lot of doing that and then I would you know snack during the day but that was really weird being able to be the only kid in class that was allowed to eat or drink so I had to do that very quietly and off to the side (laughs) do you not like attention on yourself not like that yeah I mean that sounded like a dumb question um I don't know what I was trying to ask, but earlier I wanted to ask about your parents because it sounds like they're amazing and supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if your relationship with them has changed at all since you've been in treatment and since you've started owning your true self. Yes. So my parents and I have always like pretty much gotten along. Um, my relationship with my mom was not always the greatest. We have very opposite personalities and so she's kind of the yin to my yang and sometimes that's really good and sometimes that's really bad but my parents have always tried to support me in the best ways that they know how and sometimes that's helpful and sometimes that's not helpful um and so like one of the times that it was not helpful I suppose is um my my uh, my parents try their best to be really supportive of my sexuality and like say the right things. And, you know, sometimes they ask me, did I say something wrong or am I saying the right thing or am I you oh, know, getting, hearts. getting the right pronouns right for like my friends and stuff like that. And that's I think amazing. that's really sweet. It's really, really sweet. But like sometimes they'll say things like when I identified as bi, sometimes they were like, oh, you're bi it's the best of both worlds. You can have whatever you want. And I'm like, that's not how that works. That's, uh." and like, um, how did, how did you tell them it worked? I didn't. (laughs) Um, I, I just, you know, try to explain that I like who I like and that's about it. Um, how would you, how would you respond to a comment like that now? Now, I guess I would say that kind of the same thing. I like who I like, and that's about it. I, you know, being identifying as queer is kind of all encompassing for me um, because now it's just not, it's not like a, I like boys and I like girls. Like, I like everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and like, nothing about, you know, what's in between your legs or how you identify is really going to you know, change how I feel about a person. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about coming out as bi and like how people reacted to that. And also what led you to be, um, you know, coming out as queer later. So when I came out as bi first, it was, I was young and people really didn't care. Um, but when I started going into the adult world and like dating as an adult, and dating other adults and then telling them I was bi it was a lot of threesome questions oh boy <laughs> um especially from I was like 18 and okay. 19 um so I mean even when I was younger than that there were still like 
aha a threesome haha you know oh my god um and so that was always uncomfortable and weird and not that I am ever opposed to a threesome now as an adult but when you're a (laughs) child asking a child about a threesome is weird (laughs) also just assuming that because you're bi you would be into threesomes exactly Exactly. nothing wrong with having threesomes but like don't assume no don't assume um so those were always weird uncomfortable questions and yeah just people assuming that I want to do sexual things with women also with them is just gross to me anyway um so I had uh I I came out when I came out as bi it was no big deal and then I got weird feelings about it um I think within the last year or so because I wasn't just attracted to people anymore that were like female presenting or male presenting or you know identified as a female or identified as a male like I don't know my attractions just kind of shifted more outwards I suppose um and I just started you know being attracted to everyone (laughs) um and so I told people I was bi for a really long time I think to make it easier um Mm -hmm. because when you're talking to people about sexuality and LGBT stuff in general it's almost like there's only LGBT and people that are not in the community really don't understand anything other than LGBT and the T is really new for a lot of people. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, presenting myself as someone who identifies as bi was super easy for people to understand because they were like, oh, you like both. Okay, whatever. But I don't just like both. I like everybody. There's more <laughs> than those two. That's the thing. Exactly. Exactly. You know, nothing is going to stop me from being attracted to somebody or having someone as a potential partner just because they're not the standard of what people think someone of you know a different sexuality should be so I started I didn't have a label for that for a while and then I was talking to one of my friends who also identifies as non-binary and queer and uh they were like queer is good and I'm like queer is good (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna stick with that (laughs) yeah it's such I mean I had a guest a a few episodes ago that said that same like she loves the term queer because it's so Mm all-encompassing it's like a big blanket to wrap yourself with yeah I actually talked with my mom about it recently I suppose when I was doing that when I was kind of changing it up doing a little switcheroo (laughs) um and she was like why not pansexual and because she's she's very well read on her sexualities now and I was like I don't know that just doesn't feel right can you what is the difference between pansexual and queer for the listeners who might not know oh man I don't know if I'm the right person to say that (laughs) (laughs) well Um, pansexual from what I understand it's you like everyone sexually like but I don't know uh, I, I don't I'm actually gonna look this up let's right look this now. up I 
don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> this is the podcast where we educate ourselves on the fly. Um, okay, pansexual, not limited in sexual choice with regard to biological sex, gender, or gender identity. Pansexual people may refer to themselves as gender blind, oh. asserting that gender and sex are not determining factors in their romantic or sexual attraction. So that does sound kind of like what you were explaining. Like, I can mm-hmm. see how your mom would ask that. In my mind, yeah. in my mind, since queer is so all encompassing, I, mm-hmm. I see like you can be queer and pansexual. Like, your pansexuality is part of your queerness. At least mm-hmm. to me, that's how I would see it. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? See, I don't really think, yeah, they both, I think queer is just easier for me in terms of like, oh, I'm queer. Nobody really has questions when you say I'm queer. But now, you know, you and I are like, pansexual, well, what is that? <laughs> it sucks that we feel like we need a label. Like, we. it sucks that we feel like we need to go further than just queer. Like, I like queer because it's kind of challenging people not to be more specific it's like i am queer the specifics don't are none of your business this is all you need to know about me you know yeah i think i think that's kind of where my head is at with that um especially because i don't know where was i going with that i totally lost my train of thought just now well welcome to my life (laughs) um Especially because when it comes to romantic relationships with me, I don't necessarily need sex in a relationship to be happy. Yeah. Um, and saying that I'm queer kind of takes out the sexual anything in that for me, I guess. While I was processing through my, a lot of my trauma um, with my therapist over the past couple of months, I've had no sex drive. And I think I noted this in our your little like, is there anything I should know? Um, but I'm polyamorous as well. Yeah. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. Oh no, you're good. I ta- I date multiple people, and um, they're all okay with it. And they all know about each other, and it's super cool. But for a while, like my boyfriend and I were like engaging in that in sex because I wasn't in a I wasn't in a headspace for it and I wasn't engaging in sex with my girlfriend either that was you know it was a bit of a a change from me being pretty hypersexual but it was also kind of nice just spending like quality time with them without having the pressure of are we gonna have sex or is sex gonna happen or like yeah you know even even just like not even initiating it or whatever but just spending time together that was still romantic and very like relationshipy and intimate but not putting my genitals with somebody else's (laughs) I I have a favorite description of sex by the way (laughs) um (laughs) yeah I have a very similar view of sex um it's nice sometimes but I don't need it in a relationship to be fulfilled and to be close with that person. And mm-hmm. that's been really problematic in the past because I have engaged in very heteronormative relationships where mm-hmm. I'm dating a guy and I, in my mind, I have this, I, I feel like I have to perform for them and mm-hmm. it's very toxic. Um, 
and I've been rethinking a lot of aspects of my sexuality lately. And that's one of the things that I'm like, I don't really need that, you know? Yeah. But I, I definitely, oh, go ahead. I just, oh, I just wanted you to finish up whatever thought you're having, but then I want to ask you about the polyamory. Sure. I, um, I don't know. I went through that, that hookup phase and I've been through hookup culture. And when you're in, I guess for me is when I'm developing relationships with people, I don't want, I don't want their view of me to be based on like sex and how well I perform in sex or how well I do. Cause I used to like, I used to really focus on that because I tied sex to my worth and now I don't. And so now what I tie to my worth is how well I treat people or how well, like how well I'm doing in my recovery or, you yeah. know, a so million other so things that aren't a sex. million like, other things. Wild, <laughs> like how little a percentage of our life we actually spend engaging in sex compared to <laughs> the amount of time we see it portrayed in the media in daily life like in conversation and like everything is seems like it's revolved around sex sometimes mm -hmm. and it's so dis disproportionate to like the actual amount of time the average person spends having sex <laughs> exactly oh my god yes yeah um so when did you realize you were poly like what kind of i, I can I can imagine that wasn't just like a leap overnight no, I definitely wasn't. Um, I started thinking about it when I was in a long-term relationship with an ex-boyfriend. And we were dating, I think, we were dating for a few months. And I had kind of expressed an interest in, I actually expressed interest in having a threesome. And then I was like, but I wanted to be with somebody I know or we know. Mm -hmm. um, and not a stranger because I'm really, really against having sex with strangers because um, I just feel like that's unsafe. But, you know, I kind of brought it up and we had talked about it for a while. And then the conversation kept going about, okay, well, what if we have a third? Like, what if we have somebody added to our relationship? And I was like, I think that's a great idea. Like, we were we were pretty solid, I suppose, at the time. I mean, looking back on, on it now, like our relationship was not very healthy at all. But at the time, like I felt like our relationship was solid and that we could handle something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you were talking so, about it. Yeah, we were talking about it a lot. And so we decided to go on like, like, um, this is so bad uh, in like the poly community currently, but like we started unicorn hunting and that was, it was weird for me. It was what? a weird experience. I keep seeing that term unicorn pop up in the dating apps. What does that mean? It means that people are looking for either a third person to like have sex with, with like their couple already, um, or like having somebody like jump into their relationship. It's usually about sex though. So the when I see it, it's usually people saying like, not gonna be your unicorn or like yes is it not so, gonna be your third so why why is it a bad thing in the grand scheme of things it's not a bad thing like if that's what you're looking for that's what you're looking for but a lot of people who are looking for a unicorn or looking for a third are very rude about it 
and like it's kind of a hard topic to come by and it's hard to like ask for that because mm. I don't know it's just are you just like, asking for like no strings attached like yeah yeah exactly it's it's just not very considerate of which some people would be some people would like that you know but yes. I guess if you're looking for a relationship you don't yeah want that. would you so you were looking for a third person and just to be clear this wasn't going to be just a person to like have sex with this would be like a third right. person in your relationship right that we okay. would date okay carry on so <laughs> um so we found somebody and she was nice we took her on a we had a date with her and she was really cool and we didn't ever I don't think we saw her again after that we might have seen her like one more time but I think that was it but it seemed like she was more into at least from my perspective it seemed like she was more into my boyfriend at the time than she was with me Mm. and for me like communication has become like a really 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 big thing for me and it has to be if you're going to be polyamorous um because you all have to be on the same page and so I was trying to communicate like effectively with her but also with my boyfriend and they were talking a lot on the side together um from what I knew, it wasn't like in a sexual way at all, but I just felt like her interest was more to him than it was to me. And that that's really hard uh, yeah. when you're looking for a third person to add. So it didn't really work out and I didn't really think about it anymore after that. And we ended up, I ended up breaking up with him uh, last year. But then around like September of, or no, like August or September of last year, um, I had met this girl that was running in my friend group and I was at a birthday party and it was actually posted at this girl's house and we had never met before, even though we've had mutual friends for the last like 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So it's crazy that we never knew each other. Um, but she was in a long-term relationship and I thought she was really cute and I wasn't dating anybody at the time. And so we started hanging out a lot and we were just hanging out as friends and it was really cool to just be around her. And we had this really long conversation about polyamory um, while we were hanging out one day. And it turned out we wanted the exact same things. And she had been in a long-term relationship and you know, I was single and I was like, this person is so cute. I really like her. Like, damn, maybe this could go somewhere. It seems like we both want the same things. Um, Because she, you know, was really happy with her partner. And I was like, you know, I kind of just want to date multiple people and also have this, you know, be able to date one person and also date other people as well. And she was like, that's super cool that's what I want. So um, that night, actually, I had sent her this long text. And I was like, it kind of sounds like we want the same things. And I really like you. I have had a big fat crush on you for a while. And, you know, maybe we could do something about this. Like, if you're, you know, willing or wanting to, I would like to go out with you on a like an actual date. Oh, my God. I'm just sitting here like <laughs> on the edge of my seat smiling. <laughs> I'm glad you can't see me because it's kind of creepy. 
Oh my god. Uh, so what, how did how did she respond? She was she actually didn't respond for like 12 hours. Um she, no. I texted it super late at night and I was like this is it. She doesn't want this. Like I totally read the room wrong. Oh my god. And she texted back the next morning and was like, "Oh my god, yes." Like, "Yes, yes, yes." And Yay! so Yeah. So it was really really nice. Um and so we dated each other for I maybe a little over a month, maybe a month and a half. But we had a lot of fun together and we ended our relationship pretty I actually had met a guy and he's my current boyfriend now and we had met and I had gone out with him and I was about to call her and tell her about this like great date I had because she was really excited for me. And we ended up having to break off our relationship because she was kind of going through it, which I totally understood. And I like never have held that against her. And we're still like really, really good friends. One thing that I wish would be talked about more is the the fact that some relationships aren't supposed to be super long. Exactly. Like some relationships, like some people are only in your life for a little bit or like they're only in your life for a certain capacity for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. That's kind of what we had said. It doesn't mean you failed or anything. No, exactly. And we had talked about it and we've continued to talk about it, how like our relationship was so healthy while we were together. And even though it was short, it proved to me what I, you know, wanted from other people in my relationships. And my communication with her was so good. We talked about everything. We had set clear boundaries for each other. Like everything was so well communicated and we had been able to talk about things so well that we'd never had any issues. And even when we were breaking up, like she was, you know, upset and I was upset, of course, Mm -hmm. but I never have held anything against her. And we're still like really, really good friends and have been able to be really good friends because our relationship was so good. Oh my God. And it's like, you don't have any bad memories. Like you have good memories of her. You think of her no, fondly. No, I never have. I've never had any bad memories I, I can think back of so many relationships I should have ended like years before. <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like I'm discovering a life hack, like just date, date someone <laughs> for a month and then break it off and like only have good memories. Oh. <laughs> It's not ideal, but uh, it works. That's a joke. That's a joke, everyone. That's a joke. (laughs) (laughs) But so when we had broken it off, I had just started dating my boyfriend, and we're still dating now. And he was so okay with like the whole polyamory thing. We live long distance, but we have a pretty good relationship. And about three or four months into our relationship, I started to get this feeling of like wanting to keep exploring and a lot of people wait like a really long time after they've solidified their relationships like a lot of poly people I know either from like (laughs) I'm in Facebook polyamory support groups (laughs) (laughs) Um, but a lot of people that I've talked to about polyamory on online or just in person have spoken about how you know they date people for like 10 years or two years or however long and then you know decide to keep the dating pool open and date other people and for me I guess I totally go by that if it's the right time it's the right time and for me I felt like it was the right time and I 
talked it over with him um, for a couple of days or maybe a week before I started opening myself up to the idea of really getting back out there in the dating pool. Um, but I had, I talked about it with him and he was like, you know, I really, you know, want this for you. I want you to be happy. And I'm like, okay, well, I just want you to know that I'm going to communicate everything I need to every step of the way. And he was like, I know you will. <laughs> um, so I started looking on Tinder and stuff. And I met this girl and we immediately clicked. We, we had a date at a coffee shop and ended up talking for like five hours. Oh my God, those are <laughs> um, the best dates. Yeah, we talked about everything and she was dating somebody at the time as well. And she like wanted to know all about my boyfriend and she told me all about her partner. Um, and it was just really nice being able to date another polyamorous person. It sounds like you're really aligned. Yeah. So she and I are like amazing together. Uh, She's great. I love that. Yeah, it's the best. Um, So she and I started dating about like putting a label on it, I suppose, uh, a month after our first date. And so it's just been me and her and me and my boyfriend I love that. A couple of months now. It it sounds like you have a lot of supportive, understanding people in your life. For sure. I think telling my parents about that was the hardest part, though. Like, my Mm -hmm. friends are totally cool with me being poly and totally get me. And it's really, really sweet. And they were like, yeah, just do whatever makes you happy. So, my parents were the kind of the hardest people to get like my message across to. I told some of my friends first, and then I told my sister and she was like dude I don't give a fuck as long as you're happy (laughs) yes I wish everyone reacted that way yeah so my my parents were a little harder because I told them when I was dating the girl that I dated for a month and I wanted them to know because I have a pretty close relationship with my parents and I really like when they you know are just involved in my life so I wanted them to know and they had a really, really, really hard time understanding it. Mm. And I don't blame them because they're, they're traditional-ish. They've been married for like 25, 27, I don't know, a long time. Yeah. So, oh, no, wait, 29. It's 29 this year. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah. So they've been married a really long time, and that's kind of all they know. And so... Can I ask how you phrased it when you told them? (laughs) I was FaceTiming them, actually. I didn't tell them in person. And I was like, I have some big news. And they were like, okay, I'm dating somebody. And it's not a boy. And they were like, oh, okay. Like, finally, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And I started telling them about her and it was a pretty good reception until I was like, and she has a long-term boyfriend. Ooh. And they were like, what? And they were like, so you're in a thruckle? <sighs> and I was like, um, no, I'm just dating her and she's just dating me. And she's also just dating him. And uh, they were not very supportive actually <laughs> for mm. a hot minute there. And they didn't want to talk about it. And they didn't understand it and you know my mom would say things to me afterwards like you know I'm full of surprises and I'm always keeping them on their toes (laughs) 
why were they so concerned? I like, think what reason did they give you? They thought that I was going to get hurt. And I was like, I'm going to get hurt no matter, not I'm going to get hurt, but I, I run the, I run the risk of getting hurt no matter what, like no matter who I'm dating. Oh my God. That's such a good point. Like such a good point. (laughs) Exactly. So I tried to explain it like that. And they were like, you know, I just don't feel like this is very smart of you. And so when we kind of just left it at that. And then I started dating my boyfriend and then they didn't bring it up again. And so after I had been dating my current girlfriend for about a month, I was like, okay, I'm going to tell my parents now. And she was, you know, I asked her if she was okay with that. And she was like, of course, that's totally fine with me. And so I told them, I told my mom, I was in the car with her one night and she was really confused and I did I did choir in college and Mm -hmm. so I had a choir concert coming up and my girlfriend had bought tickets for it and my mom had also bought tickets for it or my whole family bought tickets for it and I was like I just want you to know because she's coming to my choir concert and you're also coming to my choir concert and you know there's no pressure to meet her or anything Mm -hmm. but if you see me like holding hands with a girl or something I just you you know didn't want to throw you off so you know they didn't understand it for a while and then um a couple weeks ago actually they started asking more questions Hmm. and they were like asking me about her and what she does and how our relationship is going and they were pretty concerned about my boyfriend's feelings about it for a while. And I was like, you think I would do this behind his back? <laughs> like, he knows. He's very aware. Yeah. Do you know me? You raised me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you raised me not to do shit like that. <laughs> so he was, you know, I told him that he was really supportive and he's always been very supportive. And, you know, they didn't have to worry about him. And so it's... uh they're still warming up to it I think but yeah I mean the rest of the the whole world I feel like polyamory is something that it's not new by any means but I think it's starting to be talked about in like pop culture more Mm -hmm. Uh, but we still have a long way to go for sure my mom actually sent me a really 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 nice text message the other day I was on vacation with my girlfriend after my college graduation a few weeks ago and um we were out of town and I didn't actually tell her where I didn't tell my mom where I was going. And I told my sister and I had just told my mom that I was going out of town. I didn't say who with or anything. And I think my sister might've filled her in or she figured it out somehow, but she texted me and she has this motto and it's really, really sweet. Actually, she's been saying it over the past, like my past whole life basically is all she wants for me is for me to be safe and healthy and happy and educated. And mm. she sent me this text and it said, you know, this is what I've always said to you. And never in those specifications did I ever say you had to be heterosexual and monogamous. I love you very oh. much. I hope you're having a great weekend. And with oh my God, I'm crying. enter my partner's name. Yeah. 
it was oh, really that is sweet. so lovely dude i cried so hard oh my god i'm <laughs> crying now yeah i'm crying into my seltzer <laughs> oh my god I, I just love this relationship you have with not only your parents but the people in your life it seems like you are very good at communicating and you're unapologetic for who you are but i'm wondering how you got to that point you know because it's hard to talk about these things um you're so right and you know as someone who struggles with depression you were probably you had a lot of hurdles in your way I actually started forcing myself to talk about it when I was younger so as soon as I graduated from I graduated as soon as I finished my eating disorder program you graduated it's okay you can say Um, I started posting about my eating disorder on social media and how hard it was. And I posted about it for a while. And then I got people that I knew asking me for advice on their eating disorders. And, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm going into treatment. And what should I be prepared for? Or, you know, my family doesn't understand my eating disorder. Can you listen? And yeah, of course, I'd be happy to. And um, another thing that really helped me is, um, one of my friends actually died by suicide a few years ago and mm-hmm. I, we'd known each other in high school. We were really good friends. And I had actually reached out to one of my high school teachers after I found out about it to see if he knew and if he could provide me some support because I really didn't have anybody else that knew him like that. And so I had sent him a message and we met up um, with one of my other former teachers to talk about it. And um, it was really nice having that like little support system from high school after high school. And so we had talked about it and they were like, you've got such a voice when it comes to talking about mental health we're actually having this orientation for incoming freshmen and we want to know if you want to come talk to them about not like how to study or anything like that but you've always been so good at advocating for yourself I we were wondering if you would want to come talk about that wow and I was like uh (laughs) okay (laughs) I don't know what I would even say to that I think I would just be so panicked it was, yeah, I was panicked, but it was also kind of an honor. Um, oh, yeah, totally. I was totally panicked, and I wrote out, like, this whole speech a million times of all these things that I wanted to talk about, and luckily, like, the teacher that I had gone to in the first place knows me really, really well, and we've always had a pretty close relationship, and he kind of segued me and helped me talk about, like, really difficult things, and it ended up being a huge success. And that was in 2017 or 2018, I think 2018. Okay. And I immediately after that, did it every summer. I've done it every summer since then. And That's every amazing. single summer, I talked to like 80 to 90 incoming high school freshmen about, you know, what to do if you think somebody is struggling, what to do if you're struggling, how to point out the signs of an abusive relationship, the red flags that you see in your friends. Is there a difference between the way you talk about mental health to like people your age and then the way you talk to uh, about it to like 14 year olds? 
I kind of think you have to dumb it down sometimes. Um, you that? Like you and I, we've been having a conversation that's extremely raw and unfiltered. <laughs> that's just my jam. Um, and I love that. And I, I have loved being on the show with you, but like talking to people that play Minecraft for like 10 hours out of the day, not to <laughs> diss anybody who does that in their adult life. But, you know, like still play outside with their friends and, you know, are young and so full of life. And then they get to high school and they're like dead inside. Yeah. <laughs> um, at least that's that's how it was for my high school, at least. Um, I have a lot of help through the teachers that I talk with that kind of post the, the seminars. I guess like what um, have you learned through doing this for so many years now? That kids are so smart. and they pick up on things so easily. Like I have given them scenarios of like your friends are starting to date or have feelings for each other. And like you see signs that make you uncomfortable. Like your male friend is being really mean to his girlfriend or things that are obvious red flags. What do you do? And mm -hmm. so we kind of like ask around the kids, what do they do? Like, do you talk to your friends? Do you talk to an adult? Do you talk to the girl? Like, who do you talk to? And, you know, we get really, really, really good responses from the kids that are like, I'm going to, I'm going to speak up to my friend. I'm going to ask the girl if she's okay. Like, if I see somebody being bullied, like, you know, what do I do? Yeah. Um, and so that's been like, really helpful is sometimes I think kids are dumber than they are. They're really not. They're very smart. And, you know, they pick up on things pretty easily. Totally. But and it's the same kind of way when I talk about, when I talk to them about depression and what it's like to be suicidal. And, you know, I, I give them a lot of personal anecdotes when I talk because, I mean, I'm talking to kids and I want them, I don't want them to just relate to me, but I want them to see that I get them, I guess. Yeah. Um, you respect so, them. Exactly. I see them as my equals. But yeah, so I, I gave them like personal anecdotes about, you know, what it was like for me being depressed in high school or how I had to talk to my teachers about all this school I was missing and, you know, I need extra time on an assignment. Mm -hmm. And luckily the teachers that I work with during these seminars are really understanding and really sweet. And I, you know, try to talk to them about how your teachers have so many other kids that they're looking out for and if you need them to look out for you personally you need to you need to tell them like you need oh, to tell them what's going so on so hard it sounds like you're just teaching them to advocate for themselves exactly that's amazing i wish i had something like that when i was 14 <laughs> i wish i had something like that when i was 14 <laughs> i love that you're doing that so much and it just sounds like you're growing so much and not only that but you're helping other people grow oh, and that's a really you. beautiful thing and um i'm just wondering like as we wrap up like what is next for you in your mental health journey like where do you see yourself going from here well um i'm doing another seminar with the kids uh in july so that'll be fun and honestly i don't really know i hope that i keep getting to do shows like this um yes you know I hope that we get to have more conversations together 
Hell yeah. Um, so I also have never asked anyone that on the podcast before, and I realize that's kind of a lot of pressure to ask someone. <laughs> no, you're good. I I don't really know where it's going to take me, but I I want to keep the conversation going is all I'm going to say about that. Exactly. Like I, the conversation needs to be had and it shouldn't stop at a, a 60 minute podcast or a 35 minute Instagram live show. The conversation mm-hmm. should always be going. And I always want to be a part of that conversation. I love that so much. So where <laughs> can people find you if they want to talk to you about this stuff? Uh, self plug. You can find me at butterflies and bees on Instagram and on TikTok. And do you spell B B E E or another way? B B E A. Okay. It'll be in the show notes, y'all. Yeah, it's in the show notes, and you can find me there. Um, I'm always down to talk about literally anything. So yeah, I'm also on TikTok. I make super dumb videos. I haven't really figured out the way TikTok works yet, but I'm trying. That's all we can do is try. And I bet your TikToks <laughs> are way better than anything I could make <laughs> because I'm old. Um, on that note, thank you so much. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate you having me on. Of course. Of course. I'll talk to you soon. That sounds good. Right, bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pickles and Vodka. If you could relate to anything we talked about, you can follow the podcast at Pickles and Vodka Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook by typing in Pickles and Vodka Podcast. You can also email me at Pickles and Vodka Podcast at gmail.com if you have any stories or if you just want to say hi. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Stay safe.